0: Thank <laughs> you. Howdy, howdy. So, uh, welcome to another episode of GVN Live, and on this special edition, not only is it our Halloween edition of GVN Live, but I am your host this week.
1: Woo! That's very scary if you ask me,
0: actually. Well, nobody did. Look (laughs) at all the people who asked for your words.
1: Anybody? No? No? Okay. nobody, nobody nobody
0: Nobody asked for your words. It's fine.
1: I was about to say, apparently nobody did ask for my words.
0: So, as is the standard here, uh, I would like to say hello to my co-hosts for this week, Mr. Robert Hubs and Mr. Gamer Keith. How are you all doing tonight, gentlemen?
2: Fabulous. I'm
1: uh, feeling very Halloween-y, but I'm bum-bum-sh. No.
0: Well, that's, that, that's probably a good thing, considering, as we said before the podcast started, it looks like you're sitting in front of the Hulk's boner
1: over there. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, it's uh, I don't know why I was having technical technical difficulties, sorry, uh, with... Um, Yes, Um, and that's I have my lovely green screen on tonight because we were running a little late and a little behind anyway, but uh, everything's good so far today, I will say.
0: That is very good to hear. Uh, We are missing uh, Ms. Jamillion this evening, unfortunately. Uh, Due to work-related reasons, she is running a bit behind and will not be able to join us. Uh, We will strive to give you the equivalent level of quality that you have come to expect from the gvn live podcast even though she is not available this week
2: <laughs>
0: and with that in mind uh let's start out with our standard what we've been playing uh eeny meeny miny robert what have you been playing this week
2: uh i have actually been playing uh a, the free-to-play diablo clone mmo game called davillion uh are you familiar with that mark I am not. You had mentioned
0: it, but I still haven't had a chance to look um, it up.
2: Apparently this is a game that came out last year, and I originally found out about it when I was watching the uh, oh, guy who does MMO reviews on YouTube. I suddenly forget his name, um, <clears throat> and it looked interesting, but it looked like it has a lot of like red flags that people need to keep an eye on. And uh, as I'm playing this game, yeah, it, it plays like a Diablo clone. It gives you two options of playing, even though you have that dia- that, that that third uh, three quarters view uh, perspective. Like the uh, you have, of course, the point and click uh, control scheme, which is you know traditional for you know games of that caliber, which are hack and slash friendly. And then and it also offers you the WASD uh, movement, which is traditional for. MMO, for MMORPGs now. And um, unfortunately, there is no controller support, but you can work around that with the Steam controller, and oddly enough, it feels extremely comfortable playing it with the Steam controller. Um, I find that to be very interesting. Um, What I do like uh, so far about the game, um, uh, graphics are nice. It seems to have an interesting atmosphere, although it does seem to borrow heavily from other stuff. I mean, it's a Korean mmo game so what do you expect and uh what i don't like is there's a lot of stuff in there that's locked behind a paywall um a lot of pay to win type of stuff is going on in that game and i don't know how much longer i think i'll play this game i'll see if i can play it as much as i can until i get bored so that's or you're pretty. running out of money yeah pretty much outside of that i think there's nothing else i've
0: been playing really Alrighty, what have you been playing there, Mr. Gamer Keith?
1: All right, Mark. Uh, I've actually been paying two things. Uh, like I said that the previous week, I have not been playing any more No Man's Sky. I've reached back and I got Recore. Uh, I actually really, really am digging Recore. It's like a classic, like a Nintendo, like GameCube platformer, almost like Jack and Daxter sort of thing. So I'm actually really enjoying that game right now. Um, it's a very short game from what I can really see so far of it, but I'm just enjoying the the time on it. The controls are pretty nice. It's it's a pretty fluid game. Again, pretty fun. Uh, then, uh, of course, I picked up uh, the new uh, Titanfall. So Titanfall took up a good majority of my time of this weekend. Uh, a lot of fun because uh, it's just just stand- It's really not adding too much new to the actual game, I would say, except for new Titans and stuff like that. But um, I do like how Optimus Prime is my uh, Titan. So I got to give a props
2: <laughs> to that. Okay, and, what? Uh, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mark's a little confused by what do you mean by the hell Optimus Prime is your Titan?
1: Oh, oh yeah, uh, Peter Cullen is uh, the voice of the Titan in um, Titanfall 2.
2: Oh, okay. Well, because that's
1: kind of neat. Uh, uh, they actually um, now have a single-player campaign in it, so they made a little bit of a story to it, and Optimus Prime is your Titan. And I like how you're like the less likely to be pick sort of thing, kind of like how Optimus became the holder of the uh, the matrix of uh, leadership sort of thing, I or at least that was kind of like a little cue I was getting sort of thing mm-hmm. but maybe I'm just overly nerdy that's yeah. the more of the reason I'm going for that uh,
2: that's not bad yeah, speaking to Peter Cullen, it seems like since the Transformers movies came out uh, he has been getting a lot more voice work lately, uh, I believe he is the voice of your commanding officer in the Doom game that came out this year yes yeah i wasn't sure at first but i had to look it up but it was definitely his he has the most one of the most distinct voices in anything like game media movies whatever this
1: is true i mean he's optimus prime that's all i can say
2: (laughs) yep i think we should talk about i think we should talk about voice acting in video games as a future subject what do you think
0: um that's definitely something somewhere that we should probably go with that especially with all of the hubbub that's going on recently surrounding the uh, the voice you know, actor how strike being
2: treated and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, voice actor strike against select companies, oddly enough. That's kind of weird. EA being the biggest one they go they're going after. And
0: yeah, I don't it's very strange. I I get it to a point, but yeah, it's a very strange situation all the way around. I don't I don't know. Like, It's kind of a it's kind of a thing that we would need to prepare for a bit in advance, I think. But right now we're kind of not really in the position, I think, to have that discussion on an informed level, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I
2: don't I don't have too much information on that. I mean, I've actually heard about this first through a radio program, uh, MMR's Preston and Steve show. They were talking about it like the uh, the morning that they were announcing the possibility of a strike and then they said that the reason why they're mentioning it is because apparently uh, a lot of the radio stations are part of that union or like the workers in the workers for a lot of radio stations are part of that union which kind of it seems kind of weird the voice actors guild or do they extend to beyond i guess voice acting for film and movies and video game media <laughs> I couldn't even begin to
0: tell you, honestly. Hmm. I would imagine that's kind of an extension of the Screen Actors Guild to a certain extent. So, like, it makes sense that they would have those sorts of, you know, union protections and things of that nature. But beyond that, yeah, I I don't even begin to have, like, a perspective of where that comes from or how that works out, unfortunately. Like I said, that's that's definitely a thing that we would need
2: to do a bit more research on. I concur. Yep,
1: because uh, I'm lost, but
2: <laughs> stop getting lost.
1: <laughs> Leave a trail of breadcrumbs for me, damn it.
2: <laughs>
0: well, <coughs> we continue onward with the standardized theme that we have set up here. Uh, I have been playing a few things, kind of off and on, over the past few days, but the one that probably sticks out to me as the most, I guess, conversation-worthy would probably be um, the Dark Souls 3 expansion that came out recently revolving around the painted world of Ariandel. Uh, now, if you played Dark Souls 3, you probably have a rough idea of what to expect from that. But for those who are only like casual dark souls players I'm, I'm not even sure if such a thing can exist but just go with it the idea is from the original dark souls there was a painted world the world of aramaeus which kind of exists beyond our reality like it's literally a painting that if you touch it you're drawn into the world itself in the world of dark souls 3 you encounter a character who has another painted world, again the world of Dell, which is kind of rotted and messed up, and just in poor condition, and your character is drawn into that painted world, and it's clearly falling apart when you get there. And the objective is, more or less, to figure out what's going on and why it's happening, fight your way through its particular denizens, and bring fire to the creator in the painting, which... Isn't really especially well explained, but it's a Dark Souls game. What is?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounds like the stranger thing. Sounds like you're the upside down right now.
0: Kind of a little bit. it's the the painted worlds are kind of their own individual universes to a certain extent. Uh, they don't they don't necessarily make a meaningful distinction between painted worlds and regular worlds, except the painted worlds are to a certain extent smaller than regular worlds. Okay, but the painted world of Aramaeus was like maybe a half an hour, forty-five minute long zone, whereas the painted world of Ariandel was closer to two to three hours. But beyond that, it's just, it's it's a very interesting zone aesthetically. It's a very different sort of zone from what you would expect. Is there's there's a lot of like snow aesthetics and things of that nature set up for it, which I like. The concept is interesting, as I was kind of surprised that we didn't do more with the painted world, as it were.
1: Hmm. If anything, I was just watching. I read a really uh, interesting article about how old Dark Souls was, and like from the beginning, from like the PlayStation era all the way up to now, it was actually really, really interesting. I will say as well.
2: Which PlayStation era are we talking about?
1: The original PlayStation era. Wait, you mean
2: Dark Souls? He's talking is... about Kingsfield,
0: I think. Talking about King, what? I believe he's talking about Kingsfield and like the From Software games in general. Oh, yeah, oh, exactly. okay, it's yeah,
2: like the beginning of like uh, From Software's uh, absurd amount of uh, really hard games that decided to start putting out. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Frame Grind is still one of my favorite games of theirs. It's a shame they never brought it over on uh, the Dreamcast. They have a lot of great games. They never brought over. Actually, I would like to have had my hands on.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I think that's as much as uh, an issue with Age Tech as anything else, because Age Tech only had so many games available for them to bring out, or that they were able themselves to bring out. And around the time that Shadow Tower Abyss got turned away, was when From Software started looking for other people to do their uh, publishing for them.
2: And uh, they're currently only in bed with uh, Namco Bandai, correct?
0: Um, for Dark Souls, sure. For other games, like Sega's published some of their stuff. Um, other companies have published some games, rather like Ubisoft did a couple of the armored cores. So I don't know who does or doesn't have access to their licenses at the moment.
2: Okay. Hmm. So, I mean, I thought they were I thought they were one of those companies that usually stuck with a single publisher for a while, but if they're they're definitely uh getting other people to bring their games, so that's that's good then. then. Maybe we might see some of their uh uh more unique games finally come across the seas besides, you know, the popular ones like Dark Souls. I mean, I don't
0: know that they're necessarily bringing anything else unique out right now. It's it's kind of the Dark Souls show to a certain extent. mm
2: mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: I know that uh, this is the last Dark Souls game that they have intentions on making. And while they have announced that they're going to be doing a new series as well as a game for the Switch of some type or another. All we know right now is that they're working on, you know, the Dark Souls DLC. So that's that's kind of where the company is at this point. I don't like I would imagine eventually <laughs> they're going to make something crazy and ridiculous because this is the same company that made, you know, games like Kuon and um, Echo Night Beyond and things like that. So it, it's definitely a matter of when, not if they make something really ridiculous and beyond the pale. OK, but right now, all we know is they have intentions of doing something that's not armored core in the near future, but we don't know what
1: armored core switch I like that. <laughs> I would be
0: fine with that I would be fine with that like I wasn't I wasn't a big fan of the armored core formula front game for the PSP but I feel like the PSP was kind of a limited platform to release that on and the switch might work. And I feel like that's actually as good a transition as we're going to get uh, into our first discussion topic of the evening, which is the announcement of the Nintendo switch. Now, if you've been living under a rock for the past week or so, you might have missed out on that. But, (laughs) if you haven't been, you've almost certainly heard everything there is to know about the Switch at this point. Nintendo announced that they are going to be releasing a brand new console, which should be coming sometime in March of 2017. The console appears to be, for lack of a better way of describing it, a tablet-based console that sits in a dock and allows you to play on your television utilizing a Switch-type controller or as a portable unit where you can take the individual control nubbies, again, <laughs> off of the control handle, put them onto the sides of the tablet, and then use it as basically a, a portable gaming system.
1: I think they're called Joy-Cons, the, uh, the little um, the adapters.
0: Yeah, but I mean, let's be honest... Both both nubbies and Joy Cons are stupid <laughs> names.
1: Let's let's be completely reasonable about that. There, eh, I don't know about that. Well, I mean, all names are kind of stupid for that sort of thing, anyway. I like mean, the nunchuck, and
0: I'm just saying in general, like those names are more than a little goofy, as it were.
1: Mm,
0: true. Let's just let's just call that what it is. Like they're not bad. I don't hate them. They're just they're just a little silly, a little silly, shall we say.
2: Yes, uh, I just put up right here the uh, the trailer or official video of the uh, Switch if anybody is interested. We'll get a quick look right here of it. If we can get a good... There we go. There's the system itself right there. I know you guys can't see it, but uh, we all know what the Switch looks like. Huh? I wouldn't do that. Well, why? You think Nintendo's gonna hit me with something? No, I know Nintendo's gonna hit you with something. They're gonna monetize your video. They do it to literally everybody. (laughs) I know, but I'm not making money. I don't they're going
0: guess. to do it anyway
2: oh well yeah <laughs>
1: don't
0: don't you watch the gymquisition the hottest video gaming television show made by a sea level celebrity
1: <laughs> no I'm afraid not <laughs> I was about to say no I I have you not but... he
0: uses Nintendo footage they they ding his shit
2: every yeah. time oh well. It's it's a shame I'm not going for celebrity status or I'm trying to make money like, you know, I don't know, Angry Joe or somebody like that, you know, that thinks they're important. But, yeah, uh, I just want to just, I mean, do you think they'll ding me if I put a photo up? I'm sure no, every... a photo is probably fine. Okay, well, let me get a couple photos of the, uh, the Switch then. So, uh...
1: I
0: appreciate that you acknowledge that Angry Joe is not important
2: yeah i was thinking the same thing, i actually. i used to enjoy his videos up until you know he just he just went off the deep end when it came to his vi- video uh vlogs so
1: i was just never a fan honestly period but uh, I, I mean just... he's a
2: nice i've
0: met him and he's a nice guy he's a nice guy
1: all right. I'm not saying he's a bad person i was just saying like i just wasn't a fan of his material
0: I mean, he wears a leather jacket and a Superman shirt everywhere he goes. If you thought that he was a bad person, I probably wouldn't be able to hold it against you. Let's be
2: honest. <laughs> but I mean, he's a
0: nice guy. He's a nice guy.
2: Yeah, but uh, yeah, go ahead and continue talking while I get the uh, pictures and stuff ready. Alrighty,
0: so we went over this uh, myself and Mister Aaron Sroyce, uh, over on my own individual podcast, uh, Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. Ding. <laughs> so. I'm going to try and give the high-level version of what we talked about there, which is the device itself is kind of a tablet console for all intents and purposes. We know that it's going to be working off of an NVIDIA chipset, something similar to the Tegra chipset, which they are utilizing for devices including HP tablets, uh, Chromebooks, and, perhaps most interestingly, their own device, the NVIDIA Shield, which is basically like a Steam box, but made by NVIDIA. We don't really know exactly what the chipset is set up as. So, like, we don't know if it's going to be based around the Tegra chipset, the Tegra X2, that they have set up or something completely different. Uh, we don't really know any of the actual internal specs.
1: Until January 17th, I think it is.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's what they've specified is going to be the official date when they when they start really talking specifications of that yeah. console.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, there we go. We'll just take a good uh, look at the, the the system itself in its dock and the uh, controller dongle, I guess, which I have to say is quite <laughs> an like interesting design, better. to be truthfully honest. Uh, I believe there was somebody who made a picture of it that uh, they took the face of the controller with the uh, the attachments on there, and they put it on the face of a dog, <laughs> like it oh, yeah, looks like a puppy dog face. Oh yeah, people made it into like a little
0: dog mascot type thing.
2: Yeah. Mm. So, uh, and that right there is of course the the docking station. So, automatically with the fact that it's a docking station and it's, a they people are thinking because it's a tablet-based system it will be touch screen. I think this completely. Nullifies the fact that it will not have a touchscreen whatsoever, especially since you know touchscreen games would be immediately uh, unplayable once it's in the dock.
0: Well, by all indications, several different people have said it's going to have a touchscreen, and these are these are people that I would generally trust with their data. So I'm willing to believe it probably does. But by all indications, Nintendo has specifically stated y- your system cannot exclusively be like a touchscreen system okay you know like your your console must deal in your console must deal in controller support only if you want to add touchscreen features you can but the game must work without them
1: and i'm okay with that honestly
2: it is i think that's uh that's why there's so many uh, supposed third-party uh, companies that are hopping on board, too. I mean, I haven't seen that much uh, ah. people interested in hopping on a Nintendo console since, I guess, the beginning of the Wii. Uh, but then, as we saw in the 10 years of the Wii's so par- supposed uh, reign, everybody just abandoned ship after, like, the third or fourth year because they weren't really selling anything. And it's... I
0: mean, Nintendo seems like they're doing everything right. They have a hot new idea that instantly sparked a large amount of interest from the fan base. They have a device that works in a way that nobody's really seen quite that way before. And they have a huge lineup of potential third-party developers who are going to work with them including companies like you know Activision from Software Atlas Bandai Namco Bethesda Sega Platinum Games Square Enix Spike Chunsoft even Konami pledged that they're going to release nothing for the fucking console <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, no, this they're, is they're the, going to they, re-release
0: they're, they're all their, their classics, but like they have nothing to actually show with this. So <laughs> fuck them, whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Metal, another Metal Gear that we don't need is exactly what's going to be on that. But honestly, I got to be completely frank, and this is coming from a complete and utter Nintendo fanboys that they make that same promise with every single console generation, no matter which one they have.
0: Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and it it absolutely behooves them to reach out to whoever they can reach out to, get whoever they can on board with them to say, yes, we're making games for the Nintendo Switch, and all that is is a general commitment of, you've given us a development kit and we might make something, but we don't know what and we don't know when. <laughs>
2: um, and there's also that issue with, like, like is the system going to even be powerful enough to do what the developers want in in general sure we got the nvidia tegra chipset that's going to be inside the system itself but the, the the main thing is is one of the reasons why nobody wanted to back the wii u was because the system was barely as powerful as the xbox 360 and that was literally like last gen coming out with the next gen stuff and it made no sense from a business standpoint and even from like i guess a developer standpoint like why do i want to play with old hardware I mean, sure. You know, can, with, I,
0: can, with... I just, can I just
2: say, I
0: was kind of hoping that you guys would be all like, "Yeah, on board with the system." Instead of bringing up all the talking points, I was going to bring up because Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is this is going to be the shit on Nintendo show at this rate.
1: Damn. Um,
2: <laughs> I, I actually...
1: I'm excited for the day. We system. are excited, but we're, we're, we wanna,
2: we want to we want to break this down. You know, we want to actually look like we know what the fuck we're talking about.
0: <laughs> well, I have I have some relevant data about the related chipsets. Mm-hmm. At this point, the the Tegra X2, which is the upcoming one from Nvidia, is s- estimated to run at a processing power level of 750 to 1500 gigaflops, which is <laughs> gigaflops. You know, I love f- it's it's yeah, it's 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 a fine enough performance level, one supposes, considering this is it's basically a tablet level PC. It's meant to be something you can run in a tablet. It's meant to be something you can run in a portable device in some form or fashion. It's designed that way on purpose. Clearly. Yep. Clearly. So, from that perspective, you're working with something that's going to have to be scaled down a bit. But, like, the PS4 generally performs at 1.84 teraflops. Which is quite a bit larger of a performance level so it's we are clearly not getting something that's going to perform at like playstation 4 levels
1: well clearly not but also if you think about it this way too that with um just with three D games alone, that like you can use your phone for that, and the phones, like if anything, like my S seven right over here, only has four gigs of RAM that's built inside of it anyway. So like that can run that, that can run a pretty sophisticated program on it, and it looks pretty good on that. So I think that they are definitely have this step in the right direction by all means.
0: I mean, sure, I would, I would definitely agree with that to a certain extent. I would also say that like we do, we do have a lot of rumors that indicate what it's likely going to be able to do and they're saying like it's likely going to have like 4 gigabytes of RAM which is going to be a dramatic improvement over what the Wii U had to work with it, it's again not as much as the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox exactly. One but that's, that's going to be a consistent trend when we have this conversation better than the Wii U not as good as the PlayStation 4 or Xbox One For a device that can go handheld, it's definitely got some interesting tech behind it. I will give them that. My thing is, I am not really excited about the console, because the question that I keep coming up with is, I don't know who this is for.
2: Hopefully, I... Well, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, Keith. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say, hopefully that it becomes more for the actual that it's going to appease the fans mostly. But I think that they're trying to introduce that new core audience again for like people that are on the go gaming. So they want to maybe be able to actually play a game like, like pretty much. I think they're trying to replace almost like the DS to a certain extent. Uh, even though that's their main bread and butter, but they're trying to think of, like, on-the-go use and trying to open it up to more of this on-the-go audience. So I think they're trying to appeal towards that while still appeasing to, like, assholes like myself that, you know, just will be like, oh, Nintendo, oh, I have to have that tomorrow. Uh, so that's what I think they're doing.
2: I think that, yeah, in some degree, I agree with what Keith's saying, but I think they're really trying to tackle, like, the... the uh the cell phone, and the tablet market, pretty much. is that They know that there's a core audience there, and I think they made a system that, while it's on the go, they have a system that they think can bridge the gap between console gaming and gaming on the go, not necessarily trying to replace the DS, because now there's already rumbling in the air that, uh, that they're working on a successor for the 3DS already. Um, I think that they're really looking at, like, I'm hoping... It's not true that they're really looking to more likely appease the Japanese audience which is extremely like hooked onto their phones like they have insane game sales just on their cell phones alone as opposed to like we'll say tablets and whatnot so that is definitely a market I think that they're trying to appease to so you could probably see maybe those stupid farming games and candy quest probably popping up on the uh, <laughs> the switch oh, in the future. God. Well, my my thing is,
0: my thing is, I don't, you know, I don't have a dislike of the Switch one way or the other at this point because we don't really know anything about it. But my concern is I have no idea who would be particularly interested in buying this platform. Here's my thing. All right. Console owners don't exist in this space where they're going to buy two or three different consoles simultaneously unless the price point is really, really good. So if you're Nintendo and you're trying to pitch yourself as a home console, which is where their marketing is going right now, you're saying, hey, come buy our home console. And its, it's major selling point outside of Nintendo games is that you can take it with you. And the thing is, somebody who wants a home console is not going to look at the portability and say, yeah, that's a great idea. I totally want that. They're going to say, well, if I'm spending $300 on a device, because let's be honest, the Switch is probably going to be $300. Oh, easily. Am I going to spend it on something that I can play in the car or whatever? Or am I going to spend it on the hottest available console, the PS4 probably, or maybe the Xbox One? and have the most games available to me at one time that I possibly can. And if you're asking somebody to choose between Nintendo games and portability, or higher tech and the most games available, when the price point's the same, they're probably going to lean towards the console that has more games, and is a more powerful piece of tech. On the other hand... If you're looking at it as predominantly a portable system, well, more and more people are replacing their portables with cellular phones, but you still see people who are running around with their their 3DS. All right. The financial investment of a 3DS is not that high at this point, which is partially due to the fact that they when Nintendo debuted a handheld platform at $300, nobody fucking bought it
1: except me but at least i was compensated somewhat same
0: Same. right i mean i bought it too but it's it's in the grand scheme of things they didn't get remotely close to they still aren't remotely close to their ds numbers they're like 60 million installed user base which is a great number but the ds beat that by like you know at least an order of magnitude or more so you're You're talking about a situation where Nintendo is kind of looking at this situation and they're like, oh, okay, we can, you know, try and lean on that handheld side of things and it's but nobody paid money for the 3DS in the condition that it was in until they dropped the price on it. And you can't really pitch a $300 portable because if that were a thing that could succeed, Sony would have already succeeded with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The Twice. two different times that they tried that shit.
1: Is the Vita even still relevant? I wonder.
2: Relevant? <laughs> no, they still make games for it and stuff. All right. Yeah, I don't know how the system. It, it. I guess it's like Dreamcast syndrome. The system may technically be dead because it's no longer supported by the creator, but people are going to release crap on it anyway.
0: Well. I don't think it's, like, Sony hasn't discontinued it, we'll say that. Okay. Though they have discontinued the PlayStation TV in some territories, so that's probably on its way out. But, okay, so, from a price point perspective, you're pitching a $300 handheld, which is not necessarily going to be the best idea financially. We don't even know what its battery life is. But perhaps the biggest issue is the investment on the 3DS is maybe like 150 $200. You carry that thing around, you drop it, you break it, it gets stolen, you're out 200 maybe $240. It sucks, but that's what you've lost at this point. Somebody steals your cell phone, you break your cell phone. If you have insurance, you're out the cost of shipping to get a new phone. And you can just download all your stuff off of the storefront that they have. If somebody runs off with your
2: <laughs> Switch, tablet. you know your
0: Switch, or you break your Switch, not only are you out a three hundred dollar portable device plus the cost of the game, you've also completely lost, you know, if, if that device is like your Roku, if that device is like your WWE Network box, if that device is your streaming box in general, you've lost your home console, you've
2: You're lost screwed. your
0: streaming box, you've lost everything. Everything. Because you fucking dropped it on the subway, or some dude stole it from you, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Good there's point. the fact of, does anybody remember the Atari Lynx? Yes. Yeah, uh, that so hot games that, for that. bigger than the Lynx.
1: That it probably is. What's it? oh man, that thing was a friggin' rock. Oh my god, I love the Atari Link so that much. That thing
0: was heavy. I love that console, but it was not a portable console. No, it was could not, not carry it
2: anywhere. <laughs> it
0: was not. I can put my phone in my pocket. I can put my 3ds in my pocket. I do not. I don't think John Cena has pockets big enough to carry that fucking thing around. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I have my reservations, shall we say. Mm-hmm.
2: So the uh, the design is obviously an issue, especially if you even if you take off the uh, the controller nubs on the end, you can't really do anything with it. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: so it's, people have been talking like maybe this is going to be something that's going to release the three. I'm uh, sorry, replace the 3DS. I don't think it is. I really don't. I don't see I don't how. Being, I don't see it selling the kind of volume it would need to sell. To get to that point where it's reasonable to do it, but I've definitely seen a lot of people who are super hyped saying, "Yeah, it's going to replace the 3DS. They're going to they're going to like just decommission it after a year. It's going to oh. replace the 3DS." Blah blah blah. Whatever. No. Nintendo doesn't
2: uh, that way. That,
1: they already have the they have the whole like market for it. Why would they Why would they cut off that market just to go to one? Like they think corner two ends of it.
2: Yeah. As
1: far as, never mind. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
2: Um I think one of the silliest things you could do is release this thing and automatically assume it's just going to replace the 3DS. I I don't see how it is Nintendo has a, it pretty much follows like a trend when it comes to their handhelds and their consoles. Like this is this is their console tablet hybrid. It's not going to replace their handheld and like I said I heard the rumblings that they're going to already work on a successor for the 3DS. I mean even though that the, the, the new 3DS just came out last year, uh, along with, uh, you know, a whole bunch of games that, you know, work with the system's improved processor and all its nifty features and whatnot. So it would be kind of crazy of them to do that. I mean, they'll probably, if anything, release another iteration of the uh, the new 3DS XL, XY, uh, Double D edition before they even release a new uh, handheld
1: Double D edition?
2: Why not? (laughs) I mean, he is a pervert. (laughs) So are
0: you, but... (laughs) I'm not the one who just called the Nintendo system the Double D edition, sir. (laughs) Why why not?
2: Nintendo
1: is a (laughs) family
0: company. (laughs) Family friendly. family
2: companies, uh, you know, make Killer Instinct. (laughs) They didn't make killer instance. I know rare didn't rare
1: did. But, let's they not say rare
2: did. but they published it and they owned rare for a while.
1: Oh. You go. No, they
0: didn't they didn't necessarily own rare, they were just in bed
1: with them. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. 4 ds yes, I like that too. That's
0: hilarious. That's 4D s isn't a bad idea. I don't. 4D. I would. I would I like probably that rather works. that we just get rid of the whole 3D gimmick altogether. Yes. Even the the, the 2D s honestly, as, as a platform, is like only eighty bucks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about how much the actual processing tech is worth.
2: So actually, you know what? Now that uh, you know, we'll see. PlayStation VR is out, and virtual reality headsets are taking are starting to slowly take off. What do you think Nintendo might consider that in the possibility of like, Oh God, I future hope tech not. Uh, can you imagine not, playing Mario in that, with that thing?
1: I, I don't, I don't foresee that in the near future, probably down the road somewhere if this takes off, but no, not in the meantime. And like Mark was saying, I hope to God not that would be, I, I hope they weren't
0: lesson from the virtual boy and they just stay away.
1: <laughs> yeah. He the, unfortunately has a point.
0: It's not that I'm saying either the VR tech is bad. I don't know. I haven't experienced it. What I am saying is Nintendo hasn't had a a successful console, depending upon what your metrics of success are, since either the Wii, the N64, or the fucking Super Nintendo. Hmm. They need a success under their belt at this point, or at least something that can be considered to be, like, you know, decent quality, above average, like, high sales whatever and i don't want them to go experimenting with ridiculous vr tech and everything else until we're at a point where we can say hey nintendo you're doing okay
2: (laughs) (laughs) my gosh golly nintendo you're doing swell you might as well move (laughs) on to new areas why don't you try (laughs) this here headset it'll make things pop out right at you
0: all I'm saying is that they have done nothing that has been of significant value at this point, which is a shame, and it sucks, but that's just where we are. We we need them to get to a point where they are producing something that people want to see, want to own. And right now, outside of that brief stint with the Wii, that's, you know, we, we haven't gotten there yet.
2: You know what? Before they even move on to even considering something as drastic as VR. I think Nintendo should work on one of the most important things uh, with the uh, Switch. A viable, good online network. (laughs) Yeah,
0: coming back to the idea of what happens if I lose slash break my device, I'd like the answer to that question to be nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. I'd like it to be like, you know, oh, well, you've signed into a network, you've got your stuff linked up, we can just... You just sign into this new device and you're ready to go. Like, get to a level where you're at least consistent with the PlayStation or the the Microsoft platforms. Mm-hmm. That's not hard, or it shouldn't be hard in any case.
2: Now, if you, let's say my Wii U broke and I had to get a brand new system or whatever, I can get my Nintendo Network account on there, but that don't. I think the uh, sales are only linked to one system, correct? So you're not able to do that.
0: Like, I, yeah, I understand it yes unless you do a direct device transfer. Yeah, but if your system is busted then you're 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 fucked, right? I believe that like you might be able to send it to Nintendo and they might be able to resolve the situation, but generally that's that's what I've heard to be the case. Yes.
2: So then yeah, they definitely need to work something out with their their store in order to make, you know, purchases like like it's it, I'm sure it pisses a lot of people off when the virtual console came out on the Wii. And then when it came out on the Wii U, they're like, "What the crap? Why can't I bring my games that I had on the Wii over to the Wii U? This is bullshit." I mean, you could do it with the system transfer with the with the uh, the memory card, but the same. But then that that's only that's you have to go to the Wii emulation mode in order to play those, which is kind of uh, stupid. Uh, uh, people want to buy play the games that they bought, you know, the five, the ten dollar Super Nintendo to N64 games, and then download them onto their Wii U uh, uh, main menu. And I'm sure people are going to want to do that on the damn Switch when it comes out. Oh, hey, I I bought Mario 64 on the Wii U. I want to go to the store. I want to re-download it onto my Switch's uh, profile page. Um, Is Nintendo even going to let them do that? Is Nintendo even thinking that far ahead at this point? I I definitely
0: feel like they need to have at least the virtual console (laughs) titles available uh, universally on the Switch. Because it's clear that this is not going to be backwards compatible. Yeah. This device is utilizing a cartridge-based format consistent with something like the Nintendo 3DS or the Wii U. I'm I'm sorry, the uh, the PlayStation Vita. So you're not going to be able to use the discs of the Wii and the Wii U. And for a portable device, that's fine, one supposes. Uh, I feel like that's going to be kind of another barrier of entry for some developers because... If you're talking the cost of a Blu-ray disc versus the cost of SDRAM, it's going to be a good bit more expensive to mass produce things beyond a certain level. So that that could be a problem for for some smaller developers who might want to get a shot in this in this console. But whatever. Mm-hmm. The, if, the more concerning thing there is, like, you're not going to have backwards compatibility, and that would probably hurt for more than a few people who have kind of seen that with the GameCube to the Wii and the Wii to the Wii U and are kind of looking to Nintendo to keep that going. And you don't have that backwards compatible library to try and sell people on a console that's probably not going to debut with a whole lot of stuff right from launch so hopefully your virtual console stuff can all be tied into one account somehow (laughs) somehow that would help a lot i think
2: Mm.
1: supposedly and this is only supposedly this is just a rumor that i've seen is that supposedly they're supposed to have like a lot of add-on tech for um the um like the home base so quite possibly and i just hope it doesn't because that would just look horrible if you ask me that they're gonna maybe make like some sort of an attack from what i can probably
2: oh yeah the imagine uh, the tech rumors that came out at the beginning of the year right about how the system's upgradable through add-on features and stuff like that
1: exactly so supposedly maybe that would be a feature on it but i think that would kind of look a little ugly in my grand in my idea, plus it would kind of remind me too much of like the Genesis where it's like literally just like the Tower let's... of
2: Doom. <laughs> I was
1: about to say, just keep on attaching like all these uh, peripherals onto it, just like some sort of freaking basket case. Oh, man. Um, I definitely have to agree with everybody. They have to get their network support down to a science because it is quite annoying. And if you really think about it, I'm actually extremely lucky that I have these different consoles to do this So if I just want to go into my Wii I just play my Wii That didn't sound right from a distance um, That I could just put the my I could pull up my virtual console Right on the Wii uh, But I can't do it on my Wii U So I can really see that I hope they get this all together As far as that's concerned I hope they put into a lot of thought into it A lot of thought okay. and, and Like you also said Mark It's not hard It's quite simple if you really think about it
0: yeah. No, that's completely fair. And before we move on here cuz I think we've kind of wrung that
2: stone dry a little bit. Uh, <laughs> final thoughts from everybody starting with Robert? Um I I'm probably going to end up buying the system like anyway, my wife is definitely interested cuz it's just it it's really a very interesting gimmick that the Nintendo's trying to pull off. I mean, despite everything that we've said so far, I mean, I'm actually extremely optimistic and hopeful that it this is going to turn out to be a wonderful little device that Nintendo is uh, going to be releasing. And I hope that it the support comes out and it's good and that they can just do all kinds of weird nifty stuff. I mean, if it's just a bunch of games being ported over um, just to see how well they play, then you know what, then it's probably going to go nowhere. But if they can come up with some interesting gameplay elements, I mean, with all the uh, removable controllers and gameplay elements that the system will allow them to do... Then I think Nintendo is gonna have themselves uh, probably their best-selling console since I guess the Super Nintendo. I mean, we the the Wii U was a the Wii was a runaway success based on just its gimmick, but it it dropped hard. So it, it's it's kind of hard to say. Even though it sold 110 million units, I mean, and you can't you you can still call that a success. But at the same time, it's like I'm pretty sure that many. I'm sure like half of those have been returned already to like or sold. So, but uh, I do, I, I'm really looking forward to the system. All right, Keith. Uh,
1: yes, is that pretty much with the, with the switch, I know I'm going to get it. That's a given. And again, I said at the beginning of this talk, I'm a complete not a Nintendo fanboy. And the reason why I would be getting is because we all know that the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is going to be a launch title onto it. So... That's that. I'm excited for it. I would really like to see what they're going to be doing on it. So I'm really looking forward to that actual uh, conference that will be in January to see what's going to happen for it. But again, my Nintendo fanboy side kind of takes over. So it kind of like I, I get very excited easily with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, I know I'm going to get it. And if I were to say, oh, I want to wait until see more about it, and then I'll make my decision, is a freaking lie. So, that's all I got on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. From my perspective, I have paid for the last couple of Nintendo consoles, and I've generally felt like it has been not the best investment. I am not somebody who can survive on Nintendo games alone. I like some Nintendo games, but I've never been a big fan of platformers in general. So, Mario doesn't really work for me. I'm not the biggest fan of open world adventure games unless there are very specific mechanics there so Zelda doesn't really work for me.
1: Hmm.
0: So it's it's when the top two franchises that the company has don't work for you as a player, where are you where do you go from there? And it's for me the answer to that question is I usually go to the third party titles. With the Wii during the first couple of years that wasn't a problem. With the Wii U, I think I have four games for that system, so it's the Wii U at this point mostly just collects dust. Uh, I rarely play it; I rarely have any access to it. Metroid is definitely a good game, though. To be quite honest, I don't think Nintendo really likes that franchise anymore, Nick. So, um, I don't. I don't know that there would be any satisfaction for me as a player in wait looking forward to a game in that series unfortunately so it's outside of Nintendo games we have a lot of developer commitment to support the device but again as we've said we always get that there's always going to be people who are going to jump in during that first year and are going to say we're totally going to support this device and they're going to wait and see does that device get a 10 million or whatever installed user base if it does maybe they're going to start making stuff for it If it doesn't, they're going to kind of look at it and they're going to say, eh, maybe we'll license something, maybe we'll release whatever. Maybe we're not going to release anything for it. Who knows? What we're waiting for right now, and what I'm waiting for in specific, is some indication that we have some third-party developers who are actually making something that I would want to play, And we don't really have evidence of that because all we have seen is a couple of games where the developers or the publishers have said, yeah, we're not actually making that game yet. Mm. and Like a couple of things that I'm just not really interested in paying money for. And it's you know, that's that's not something that's conducive to me personally, towards paying what is probably going to be $300 for a console that we're not even really going to learn anything significant about for another two months. So it's, I hope the console does well, because Nintendo could really use that shot in the arm. But I personally am not looking forward to it. I would love to be able to look forward to it. But as it stands right now, I just haven't seen anything that fills me with any hope that it's not just going to be another Wii U.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and from
0: there, I feel like we should move onward to our next topic, as that one's probably going to be another,
2: another lengthy one. Yeah. Uh, can I just show off one photo real quick in regards to the Wii U, uh, or the uh, the Switch? No. No. no yeah, not right. the switch. It's like this is this is what this is Keith's fear of what they'll do with the switch hardware. He does not want to do this. The 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 Sega Tower of Doom that I was just uh. mentioning earlier, right there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't feel like that would be great. No, I don't. We don't need something uh, like that. Nintendo, you're listening, it. don't do a Sega. Oh my god. Okay.
1: <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly what I don't want it to be. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And sorry about that. Whoops, I hit the wrong button for segment. Switch back to uh to the cameras. Oh goddamn it. <laughs> you, you're no, ruining good. ruining everything. I am not ruining everything.
0: <laughs> you're yeah. ruining everything. You're Ex- a ruiner. Expert is ruining things, but anyway, <laughs> why moving we can't on.
2: nice things. You're the one
0: pushing the buttons. Whatever. Anyway. So, moving on. The second question, the second discussion topic here is one that kind of just came up recently, but that honestly is, to my mind in any case, a really big deal, depending upon how you get your information and news on certain things. And it is this. Recently, uh, Bethesda released a press statement of sorts on their website, Bethesda.net, on their website method of handling review copies for video games. Now, it's been no secret for those who were looking forward to the game Doom earlier this year that Bethesda seemed to be kind of experimenting a bit with how they provided developer review copies. But they finally came out and provided sort of a concrete idea as to how this is going to work, uh, stating, quote... At Bethesda, we value media reviews. We read them, we watch them, we try to learn from them when they offer critique, and we understand their value to our players. Earlier this year, we released Doom, and we sent review copies to arrive the day before launch, which led to speculation about the quality of the game. Since then, Doom has emerged as a critical and commercial hit and is now one of the highest-rated shooters of the past few years. I would call that hyperbole, but okay.
1: Yeah, with I was thinking the, the same thing.
0: Of Skyrim Special Edition and Dishonored Two, we will continue our policy of sending media review copies one day before release. We'll get to that in a second. While we continue to work with media streamers and YouTube to support their coverage both before and after release, we want everyone, including those in the media, to experience our games at the same time. That's bullshit. We'll get to that in a second.
2: We also understand
0: (laughs) that some of you want to read reviews before you make your decision. If that's the case, we encourage you to wait for your favorite reviewers to share their thoughts. Skyrim Special Edition releases globally on this date. Dishonored 2 releases globally on this date. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Kotaku has talked about this. Polygon has talked about this. All different review sites have talked about this. And there's a small but vocal subset who is basically declaring this you know, a, a a success for gaming, and and you know, fuck game reviewers, and blah blah blah. So there's there's Look. a lot of different perspectives on this side of things. Of but I want
1: to,
0: I do want to kind of address like two points that were brought up in this press release. Well, three points. One, continue our policy of sending media and review copies one day before release. Like, kind of implies that this has been a thing that's always the case. This only started with Doom. Like, up to this point, Bethesda had generally been willing to work with reviewers and get them advanced copies. Doom was the first case where they said, no, we're just going to release something a day in advance. Um, The second point that's kind of concerning here is that they are saying, our policy of of sending media review copies one day before release. Uh, In several instances from following Twitter, reviewers who had been given the review code for Skyrim Special Edition, received the code the day before release, but the code was not activated until day of release.
2: Ah, what the So hell? not
0: only were they given the code, like, basically, with one day to make a determination if they wanted to get code available, day, like, a review day of release, but then on top of it, the game was actually delayed to them by a day. So they got to play it the same day everybody else did. Mm. which basically says why don't we just pay money for our own games at that point But perhaps the most frustrating part of that statement is where they say um, you know that they want to make sure that everyone experiences our games at the same time which is demonstrably untrue and if it wasn't for the the weasel words that they use in phrasing it, I would say would actually be, a lie like literally a lie in in print form it's not really slander or survivalist because it's not really you know slagging anybody but they're they're telling a definitive untruth as several youtube streamers have been streaming skyrim for several days if not weeks ahead of its release it's not that bethesda wants players to experience their games at the same time they want trusted partners YouTube streamers who are already enthusiastic about their properties and will say nice things about them to have access to those games before critics
2: might. Hmm. They probably got wind of uh, back when EA was sending uh, copies of Battlefront to Rockstars, and the Rockstars were posting reviews online saying, this game's a piece of shit, and breaking the discs in half and stuff like that. So, yeah, looking for people who are already overhyped about their stuff sounds like, yeah, uh, a media ploy in order to uh, sell their product before, you know, somebody comes in with a negative review. Ooh. Yeah, and I
0: I have issues with this situation
2: but again uh
0: i want to hear what you gentlemen think starting with you mr gamer keith
1: oh right so pretty what i can gather from this I, I only really just learned about this uh today when we were pre-discussing it is that i think that it's an interesting ploy that they're doing because like you said that they're only going to these friendly people that would honestly probably give them a very very good review on it because they're already in this great heaven in mind that Bethesda could do no wrong, like Fallout 4 is the best game ever, Uh, Dishonored 2 is going to be game of the year, and Elder Scrolls is the best thing since sliced bread. So... You have that very cool audience, but if anything, when I initially read it, I was reading it, I guess, very wrong because I was under the impression that they were kind of saying, oh, well, we're going to give this to the media or to those YouTubers first because maybe they were doing the experiment. I was thinking because if you think about it, most people get their information from YouTube or from the Internet nowadays. Not a lot of people read, unfortunately, and that's the reason why America's in the situation that it's in now. Ha ha ha. Um but I kind of agree with you. That's a lot of freaking horseshit if you think about it. Just because, like, why, why cut out, like, these... The whole point of critiquing a game or making a game and giving it to reviewers is for them to critique it so they can actually give the opinion... To the, the players, to these people that are maybe are on the fence about buying this particular game, and then they go to this trusted source, and now it's like, oh, well, they get the game a day before it releases. How am I supposed to make an informed opinion on that? And if anything, I would think that it would be really hard on their sales. I would see a little bit of a drop on it because maybe not everybody's engaged to make that impulse on it. That's just my opinion in particular.
2: Okay, Robert? Uh, it's a shady tactic to, uh, sit there and say, uh, we're just going to re- release the review copies a day before, um, and you're, you're saying that YouTubers and people who stream, uh, are super fanboys that are getting their products in advance in order to, you know, shine the light on how great the product is so they can build up even more hype for it, so they can get those day one, what is it, like the first two weeks is how they consider the success of a game, Right.
0: Generally speaking, yes. Yeah, you know, some first... games, some games are considered to be a, a success based on long-term longevity, but the majority of games usually live or die in their first two weeks.
2: Yeah. So, like, remember back when the origin when the Tomb Raider reboot came out, uh, Square immediately considered the game a failure because it failed to reach four million within its first two weeks, even though it hit four million after what three months. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it's it that's kind of garbage. Like, if, like you know for a fact that games like you know Call of Duty. Uh, anything put out by Bethesda or id Software or Activision is usually going to hit the multi-million mark within the first week of release. So, I, why they would do something, even, regardless of what the reviews are. I mean, um, the last Call of Duty game, what, what was it, Black Ops 2, which was, I I heard, not very favorable to a lot of reviewers... Uh, because of its glitchiness, that game still sold two million copies the night it came out. If I'm if I'm if I'm wrong, somebody can correct me on that. But like so like doesn't matter if it's a if it's negative reviews or whatnot. I mean, you shouldn't really be resorting to tactics of, of tactics of stuff like this and saying oh blah 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 such and such. This is why we're doing this. Uh, it's not because of what you think. It's because we're full of shit. And well, no, go ahead, go ahead, and it, the, the the they have a company like Bethesda who I you know I've been a big fan of I'm still a big fan of I mean I've been playing their game their computer games since the early 90s uh even before they were named Bethesda <laughs> I think they changed their name like after a year or two of existence I can't remember um the, the they the, with with the name Bethesda you you know there's like a quality of assurance that comes with the majority of the games and when they do something like this you're you're now wondering like you're breaking the trust with your with the, with the fans. You're breaking the trust with the gamer with, with with the game reviewers and stuff like that. And you know it's it's just probably going to turn around and bite you in the ass. So, um, it's like, here's my thing. All right,
0: I've been playing <laughs> Bethesda games long enough to know that Bethesda is not inherently a high quality developer on their own merits. You know, uh, I have been playing Bethesda games since. Like the early days of the PC when they were releasing uh, shitty first person shooters based in the Terminator franchise. I and actually like Terminator 2029. I hated <laughs> that game. That game was so fucking broken. But <laughs> it's it's so I've had a lot of experience with Bethesda over the years. And personally, I can say that while I have bought Bethesda Games day of launch, I am not somebody who needs to buy a Bethesda game day of launch but I'm probably in the minority here. So for me personally, this does not have impact. I can easily wait a week to see if a game coming out is worth a shit. But here's the thing. My concern is not exclusively with Bethesda, putting the game in the hands of reviewers who are likely to say nice things about it because that's the cost of doing business. Sure, you're going to put a game that somebody that you want to sell well into the hands of somebody who's going to look at it and say, this is really good, and I like it, because they're favorably disposed to your company. Absolutely. You, you do what you can to make a buck. I get that. I don't like the fact that they are actively restricting these games from reviewers until day of release or day before release. But I was somebody who received a copy of Rage a month in advance of its being released, and I was probably one of the nicer reviewers to it. I didn't mm. like it, and I said I didn't like it, but if you compare what I said to what other people said, it's, it's apparent that I was one of the voices that was saying, eh, it's not that bad, it's got some issues, but I don't hate it, while other people were, were starting from, wow, this is not very good, and like scaling all the way down to burn the witch! So, <laughs> you, can, you can kind of understand. It's also worth noting that from Bethesda's perspective, there's definitely a lot of reason to be resentful towards game reviewers. A lot of the games that they've released, Wet, Hunted the Demon's Forge, um, Brink, have not been well-received in the critical marketplace. So now that Bethesda is in a position where they have, you know, their Bethesda RPGs and... Dishonored and a Doom game that did really well, why wouldn't you try to leverage the idea of minimizing reviewer impact on your properties? Because, let's be real here, and this is this is not... This is something I have heard from industry insiders in more than a few cases, and I don't feel uncomfortable saying it because I've heard it from more than a few people. Many of the people I have talked to within the industry have kind of confirmed Bethesda is a bunch of dicks.
2: Really? I had a friend they're, that worked with them, so they're they're yeah. general assholes. I had no idea. Hmm.
0: This is this is a thing I've heard from more than a few people.
1: Mm. I'm a little shocked right now.
0: <laughs> I'm. You really shouldn't be.
1: <laughs> honestly,
0: but like, here's the thing: Bethesda is in a position where they can say, "You know what? We'll release Doom. We know Doom is a good game. We know it will do well, and we know people will like it." We can release the Skyrim Special Edition. We know it's a good game. We know people will buy it. We know it will do well. We can release Dishonored 2 because it's trading on the name of Dishonored and will instantly sell well when we know it's a good game. And this sort of a thing kind of lets Bethesda circumvent the review process because the game is going to sell well regardless based on its own hype and the hype that they invest into it. And by the time the reviews come out, they will have already made their sales. And when the reviews come out, they're going to say, well, these games were really good. And it's just going to reinforce the belief of, well, we don't need these reviewers around anymore.
1: I concur. Because you could say, I've already sold 20 million units of this game. So screw you. Was your opinion matter?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And this is the thing. Bethesda's not doing this for the short-term games. They're not. They're doing it for Prey.
1: <laughs> uh, prey. Right. Oh, that game was hard. Like,
0: here's, here's the thing that a lot of people are going to kind of lose sight of in the long term. Bethesda has kind of become a company that where having their name attached to it does help their sales to a certain extent. And The Evil Within is a primary example of that. That game did multiple millions of copies in sales. Not a lot of people liked it. It was not generally well-received. People did not necessarily think particularly highly of the game. Which okay. is not like, the worst thing in the world, because there are lots of games that aren't especially well-received, wet but do well.
2: The game wet. I think that was a game that Bethesda took on at the last second when the uh, publisher backed out from it. What whoever that was, the original publisher was, right? Yeah that that game. Um, I even though Bethesda's name was on it, I think that sold well, but it wasn't that good of a game as well. I I, I believe.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. But it's it's just talking in recent history at the moment. Um, so that game might have been impacted by reviewer score because again it did not it did not do especially well with reviewers but it still made its money back and bethesda as a company is one that's probably going to try to keep experimenting they they have an evil within two lined up and they have prey coming soon which could probably be a game that might live or die on its reviews so why wouldn't you use three games that everybody has already assumed are going to be good on launch and use that as a way of potentially helping a game that we're unsure of by removing the reviewer element and kind of asking players to bank on the assessments of friendly streamers and your knowledge of Bethesda as a game company. You, you remove that unpredictable element somewhat, and maybe you pray will be good. I don't know, but that's the game that has the most to lose because it's been in development hell for like seven, eight years at this point.
1: Yes, yeah, since the Xbox 360. I mean, the first play was, like I said, was a god awful piece of crap. Oh, my goodness. The fact that you that couldn't game die... made
2: by 3D. It was made by 3D realms, was it not? Or it was in developmental hell by with 3D realms along with uh, Duke Nukem Forever.
0: Yeah, and that game got turfed out to multiple different places before it got picked up and published by 2K.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was it was not the worst thing. Like, it wasn't as bad as Duke Nukem Forever, but it was no. underwhelming relative to the amount of time it spent in development. But Prey 2 was in a 50% complete condition when I went to E3 and saw it in 2010. And it looked good at that point, don't get me wrong. But we've been waiting six years since then. And the game, this is a completely different game from the one that I saw at that point. So it's, it's clearly a case where Bethesda realizes, you know, this game could be negatively impacted because we we don't we're We're, we're going with a lot of risk here and maybe it's a great game. Maybe it's a terrible game. We don't know. But it stands to reason to that for them to minimize that risk however they can. Which I get. But <laughs> it kind of feels like they're trying to game the system to a certain extent. And they are hoping that the sales keep up no matter what. Because if they can do that then it it, it truly doesn't matter if you are a big enough publisher what scores your games get or if you release things to game reviewers. If you're big enough, you're going to sell regardless.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if you're too big, why, why would you even need to worry about gaming publications and websites and stuff like that at this point? I mean, companies like Activision probably couldn't give two shits what people think. They could probably pull the same crap as Bethesda's doing with their with some of their games.
1: Nah, I think it's too big. Like you said, that if if all of a sudden you saw a complete drop on like a lot of the reviews for Activision games, I think that somebody somebody would eventually say something, and something would definitely happen. It would definitely go noticed, so to say.
0: Oh, it would go noticed, but is it going to stop people from buying the next Call of Duty?
2: Probably not. No, absolutely not. Definitely not. not. Hell, oh, I mean, even the the Rockstar and Guitar Hero games. I mean, well, the Rockstar franchises was did they resurrect both franchises? I forget. Um, oh. or did they I only? They... Uh, which one did they bring back on the Xbox One and PS4?
1: That was um, Guitar Hero. Yeah,
2: Guitar probably. Guitar Hero Hero Alive. Um, I'm pretty sure that's selling pretty well, and they've got like. 200 songs available for dlc which they're probably making money off of that as well so activision again like they probably couldn't give two shits about what people think about their products they'll just release it they don't need reviewers to step in or anything like that i'm pretty sure
0: from the from like from the activision perspective sure but by the same token there was also a lot of okay we completely redid you know the mechanics of this controller. You know it's it's a whole new controller. It works a whole different way. Uh, we're completely restructuring how this game works. And that game, by all indications, did not make its money back. Oh, really? Um, they're like they're probably making money hand over fist through the DLC. I couldn't say, but by all indications, that game did not make its money back on retail sales. Meanwhile, the other game that was resurrected at that point, Nick pointed out, Rock Band. Yeah, uh, Harmonix took on that burden more or less themselves, and by all indications, did not make enough money to make that a viable choice. That's a shame. Which sucks, to be sure, but again, it's, you can only trade so much on, like, some brands or some situations. Activision is a large publishing house, to be sure, but Call of Duty is what pays the bills. Oh, you know, yeah. Guitar Hero needed more to it. And even with some reviewers saying, you know, this game is great, by and large, both for Rock Band and Guitar Hero, reviews were polarizing. And I imagine that probably affected people's decision on whether or not they wanted to invest money in it, because players, so a lot of players only have enough money to invest in, like, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games a year, maybe. Like, if you only have enough money to invest in one game a month... Mm-hmm you're going to have to be more discerning about what you want to pay money for. And those reviews are going to be helpful to you in that case. You're going to want to wait and see what people think. And that's where, that's where a game like prey comes in. Hmm. A game is not
2: take chances on.
0: Yeah. Prey is not a game. People are going to take chances on. It's not. So what Bethesda is probably hoping is that they can cut out the middleman here and say, well, It's a Bethesda game. Look at all these great screenshots. Look at all this great promo stuff. You can trust us. We gave you these three games in a row that were awesome. And, you know, the reviews are going to be like a week late, so they're hoping people will do the impulse buy and pick that game up.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: In any case, final thoughts, once again, uh, Mr. Gamer Keith.
1: Well, and now that I have a little bit more of a better understanding of the situation, I would say that you're uh, you're right, that if anything, that they're kind of pointing the audience towards this, and then they're kind of banking on, oh, well, if we're going to make these three good games, and then all of a sudden you got this, and it's definitely some shady tactics, to say the least. And that's all I, I can really elaborate more on, because oh I, I, I'm kind of on you with this. It's like, yeah, that's kind of bullshit if you really think about it.
2: All right, Mr. Hobbs? Um, I'm pretty much in an agreement with everything that's been said up to this point. Uh, it's a shady tactic. It's a PR tactic that's probably going to work out well for Bethesda because just they're that big, and they've got games with proven track records of being somewhat good or better that, or, or high quality to uh, back them up to build a pipe and to sell their products for even untested games like uh, the new Prey. So... In hindsight, I would say I'm not a fan of tactics like this, but I, I can at least understand the mindset. I, I don't I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but it's 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 a shady it's shady stuff, and it's stuff like this that usually gets me turned away from being a fan and supporting certain publishing companies or developers. But I don't know if I can exactly turn away from Bethesda, especially since I like their games <laughs> for the most part. I mean,
0: it is what it is. I I can definitely understand that. From my perspective, the thing that I'm going to say is the the thing that I generally always say here. Unless you're getting some type of significant benefit in terms of, you know, content, software, whatever, don't pre-order games. Don't lock yourself into buying something that may end up being a turd.
2: Mm -hmm. Don't let GameStop take your
0: money. (laughs) And be discerning. If you see a developer doing something, if you see a publisher doing something that kind of seems like they are trying to limit your access to information as a fan, because that's what this is. Let us make no mistake about this. If they're trying to control the flow of information, if they're trying to limit your access to information as a fan, there's a reason for it. And keep that in mind. There is a reason for it. Oh, I mean,
1: Fallout 4 is probably the prime example of that. Like, they had this, you didn't see anything on it. it. just, it was kind of like winter is coming sort of thing. Then all of a sudden, out of the woodwork came Fallout 4. It's like, oh, the game's done. Here you go. And here's a little uh, mobile game. Go play that for a little bit, and then the game will release.
2: And even though that game was glitchy when it came out, it was still an amazing game. Not as good as 3, but, like, it was an amazing game.
0: I would disagree, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I would say at the end of the day, honestly, what it all kind of comes down to here is, again, Dishonored 2 is probably going to be great. The Skyrim package is clearly great, unless they screwed up the transfer somehow. But, more than likely, the big thing to look forward to is something like Prey as an example or other new intellectual properties that they are pushing out into the world because more than likely they're going to use their hype their brand name to try and launch something new that might not necessarily be the best game and even if it's not Prey even if it's something else sooner or later they're going to use this as a method of trying to release something they're unsure of or that they think the audience will be unsure of to the marketplace. Just, I'm not saying don't buy their games. I'm not saying, you know, fuck Bethesda. But I am saying there's definitely a reason they're doing this. It's definitely to benefit themselves. And keep in mind, just remember what is the benefit to Bethesda if you buy this game before a review is available? <laughs> and all I'm saying is, If you're unsure, don't pre-order a game.
1: Just words of wisdom. (laughs) All right,
0: we're towards the end of the show.
2: Yeah,
0: (laughs) we're towards the end of the show here, and I did appreciate Emily's idea last week. So I think we'll pick this up for a couple of minutes this week. Um, Anybody has any questions they would like to submit to us, by all means, feel free. We already have one that I picked up from earlier in the show from uh, It's Nick, which is, in your guys' opinion, does the Miiverse return?
2: I think so. I definitely think that Nintendo's invested a lot of uh, money into the Miiverse, and I'm pretty sure... or, or Miiverse or... I'm thinking of uh The Miiverse is the mobile thing, right? Mobile app, Right.
1: No, the um the Miiverse is like where you got to make the little virtual me and then it like was able to talk it's the whole yeah, friend okay. thing and everything like
2: yeah, that. Yeah. I think yeah, cuz I'm looking at the chat, he mentioned somebody mentioned Miitomo. That was, was me. Like, yeah, okay. And uh I think the me Mi- I think the Miiverse may return in some form or another. I mean, Nintendo, I mean, Nintendo with the Miiverse started something towards what would be considered a interesting network system going on there and I think they can evolve that to something of like almost Xbox Live caliber with you know interactivity and all that stuff amongst people I mean I liked when you were playing games like let's say Super Mario 3D World and people's notes would pop up as I'm running around the maps and some people would have hints, some people would have pictures some people would just have nonsense scribbled all over and I thought like Kind of like online integration with games and stuff like that, like that. In, with the MeVerse, is it's actually fun. I hope it returns, and I, I think it will. All right, Keith.
1: Um. Well, again, I'm still kind of, even though I know now that it's two completely separate things. But the fact that the Me Tomo didn't really do too well, I know that again, it's similar to it, but it's not the same thing. That it didn't have this very good reception on it, and with the MeVerse that. I don't know, since it wasn't doing it's doing all right on the Wii U because that's the only way that you're going to have any sort of interaction I hope they really just restructure everything and just the, they take a new cue from it so to say still keep the Miis because the Miis really help with games like within Super Smash Brothers that's an awesome little feature to have you fight alongside you know either Link or any of your favorite Nintendo characters I think that's awesome but I think that they ho- I hopefully they restructure it and they learn from their mistakes on different things but they probably won't.
0: I mean from my perspective in an ideal world I would say the smartest possible thing for them to do would be to invest in the me universe the meverse overall and try to leverage it into mitomo in a way where you can unify your account in the switch device with your account in Mitomo. Try to build a leveraged brand that that goes across multiple different devices, multiple different applications and so on in a way so that it it promotes brand synchronicity and kind of gets people who are playing with the Mitomo interested in going out and getting a switch and people who buy the switch interested in investing in the app. The smartest thing they can do is to synchronize all of their efforts in one direction so that they can get everything over and profit off of all of it. That having been said, honestly, I don't see them investing in that the the Miiverse beyond what they've already done. I would wait I would say at this point it's going to depend on whether or not they ultimately can figure out a way to implement it into the switch such that it kind of works with the aesthetic that they're going with. Cause if you looked at that promo advertisement, you could see that there was a lot of leverage that they were putting on to try and make it look more, I don't want to say adult, but like more get away from the kid friendly image. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like Mitomo, like the, the Meverse in general, kind of caters to that kid-friendly image. I feel like there might be a way for them to leverage that, because, you know, adults like cute things, and still keep in <laughs> that, like, you know, for-everybody image. I hope they don't throw the baby out with the bathwater there, because there's definitely some great ideas. But... If they did scrap it, let us say I would not be surprised.
2: All right. All
0: right. Uh, Second question that comes up here. Uh, given that the Switch is a console-portable hybrid, do you think Sony's paying attention to see if there's room for another potential PlayStation handheld?
2: I think Nintendo or Sony is not because... I don't think they want to... They they already got a lot of stuff on their basket. I mean, they're still supporting the Vita, and that that's pretty much a very powerful system in its own right. Uh, probably going to be equal in power to the uh, Switch, I think, in some degree. Cause, or is that thing a little bit more, about as powerful as a PS3? I forget the Vita.
0: The Vita is like
2: a high-grade PS2. It is not PS3 capable. Oh, I thought it was. Okay, I guess I was wrong then. Um... The uh, the system, the 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 switch. I think Nintendo, Sony will watch it just 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 for novelty, really. I don't think they have any plans on really going after Nintendo's ideas, considering the fact that what they've been doing has pretty much been working. I don't. I mean, the only thing that they did that they've uh, tried to latch onto was stuff like the PlayStation Move and the camera. I mean, they did the. Uh, augmented reality with the ps2 and that didn't take off too well (laughs) with Um, the ducks (laughs) (laughs) they did the uh they did they tried to do the uh the move which was their way of uh going after both the connect and the wii uh when it came out and that didn't do so well but it's actually doing better now with you know use with the virtual reality headset so they're they're at least going to be able to recoup losses from that in some degree and enhance interactivity uh, I I don't think Sony really cares at this point. I mean, Nintendo even said it themselves that they're not really in the business of directly competing with Microsoft or Sony. So I I don't think Sony. I mean, Sony will probably just watch, see what goes on. They may, like they've always done in the past twenty years, they'll might borrow some ideas. That's about it.
1: I'm going to say a very firm no. On one thing alone, one thing alone is that Sony also makes cell phones. So they're going to probably push more of that. Hey, kids, you need a cell phone. Your parents have a cell phone plan. Why don't you get this Sony cell phone? Because then that could be your PlayStation as well. They tried doing that with the, um, the Xperia Z3 which was like one of their bigger bullet points, was like, oh, you can sync this with your PlayStation 4. You can bring this on the go with you. And ultimately, I don't think it did very, very well. I could be wrong, but I sold the Z3, and I've not seen a whole lot of sales from it. So that's my opinion on it. I don't think that they would really go for another handheld when they have cell phones, and that's my opinion. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I kind of look at it from the perspective that Sony has probably scrubbed any interest that they have in the Switch at this point. They're probably aware of it as much as anybody is, because it's it's, it's their business to know. It's their business to pay attention. Yep. But I really feel like they probably don't care very much. And I say this because they've kind of sort of already done that stuff in that they had the PSTV, they had the Vita, it didn't work the way they wanted it to. Most likely, they're paying attention to see if it does do well, but they're also likely kind of saying, well, we tried something similar and it didn't work, so <clears throat> good luck. <laughs> uh, Nintendo's attempt, to be fair, is different. So it has room to succeed where Sony's did not. But I would honestly, if if I were in Sony's position, I would kind of just pay attention to first year announced sales investor conferences things like that i would not be paying attention to the hype right now because hype was fucking everywhere for the vita when it was like first announced and nobody bought the damn thing so it's it's paying attention to the hype is ultimately meaningless you need to pay attention to first year sales if the first year sales are really good i can see sony probably trying to leverage something with the Vita into a console type platform or something similar beyond that. They probably don't give a shit. They probably don't give a shit. Honestly. Yeah. All right. And we got two more questions here before we sign off, uh, taking them out of order. The first question is Pokemon stadium. Will we see another one?
1: Yes. Keith. Uh, I hope so, but I'm going to say Nintendo
2: fanboy. Come on. You can do better well, again, than
1: that. Well, well, I'm looking at it realistically is that I don't know. Like I I would like to, but the fact that they have such this fine line of Pokémon on the the handheld and Pokémon on the home console, I don't I honestly could not say. I could not say, but I hope so. That would be really cool.
0: Honestly, I would say it depends on if we go for this like projected we're going to replace the 3ds with the switch idea or not if the switch is going to ultimately end up being like kind of a attempted 3ds slash wii u sort of like console handheld hybrid probably not because they're probably going to end up pushing the regular pokemon games to the switch if the console does not do especially well i would say it's more likely (laughs) Because at that point, the 3DS will probably be the device that's propping up their business for another couple of years while they try to get the Switch over in whatever capacity. I would say there's definitely benefit in a Pokemon Stadium, though, for the Switch, just because of the the portability of it combined with what it's capable of doing. But I would say it it really depends on how the first year sales
2: go. I would also like to say that Nintendo, since they've also announced that they are going to be putting more of a focus into esports... And having a Pokemon Stadium game that might be more centric to, let's say, an esports Pokemon style league, I can see possibly happening as well. Yeah, but Um, I think
0: Pokemon, of all the games that Nintendo makes, is the least conducive to
2: an esports environment. But they can always find ways to making it fit in that matter. I mean, it is one of, it is, believe it or not, I mean, outside the heavy, no. It is a highly competitive game it is but it's the meta competition
0: is what makes pokemon's competitive nature interesting people who ev train out the s are the ones who do the best it's not competitive in the sense of your skill is what wins it's competitive in the sense of how much time you invest in breeding how much time you invest in um you know stat management things like that does the best You can't bring somebody in off the street and just have them pick different attacks off of, like, you know, default Pokemon or what have you. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. That as a competitive franchise is something that is going to work more off of how much time you invest in managing your Pokemon, evolving your Pokemon, things like that. That's where that goes
1: concurred. I mean, I don't okay. really see it as much of an actual e-sport. I mean, I think it would be interesting, but uh, mm. the fact that, like you said, it's not really what your skills are, it's what time and effort you put into it kind of makes it a little one-sided to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, I don't like. I don't see Splatoon getting over as an e-sport in general, but it is what it is. I can see them trying there at least.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've tried holding yeah, it at tournaments.
0: It Pokemon? Definitely not. That's not going to happen unless they dramatically change the way that game franchise works. And at that point you're probably going to lose a lot of the people who are interested in it in the first place.
1: If anything, I would say more Pokemon tournament would probably be if they were going to do a Pokemon like eSport. But... I
2: don't even think the Pokemon franchise is going to last much longer, to be honest. <laughs> it sold reasonably well so we might see it come back on the switch we'll see what happens maybe if they had like an arcade release of it it might do a lot better like a, a, a well it does have an arcade release before it came out on console i'm saying if it had let's say a sequel and it had what i mean there what is it 750 pokemon now and it's it's kind of hard to sit there and pick out which pokemon and which evol- robert, evolved pokemon yeah robert yes we're
0: 6 minutes over and i have one more question to get to oh i'm sorry anyway uh final question of the evening yeah i went there um <laughs> if you had to choose a third-party developer to handle a nintendo property who would it be and why robert
2: um i don't think i can trust any developer at this point and the, p- the companies that nintendo have trusted. Uh, Retro and Rare aren't really working with Nintendo anymore, (laughs) and Silicon Knights isn't around, so I would say no. I mean, especially after, I mean, as much as I enjoy some Team Ninja games, and the Hyrule Warriors was decent enough, Metroid Other M was okay at best. So, I I really don't think I can trust a, a franchise going to anybody else.
0: Well, actually, Retro Studios did just recently release Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze on the Wii U. Oh,
2: so they yeah. They are still
0: working with Nintendo, just not on the Prime trilogy.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the, the rare. I mean, the po- the Donkey Kong games were mostly done by Rare uh, up until they la- they were sold. And I think, yeah, they the Donkey Kong Returns and Tropical Freeze; those were the two new games that they did. I don't know who was responsible for the Donkey Kong games or anything like that on the GameCube. Was that, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, they still work closely with retro. So, I mean, that's good. So I would say, if anything, just keep giving them franchises to work with. Okay. Keith?
1: Uh, yes, the one for that, I would say, and this is like in a thousand hells, will it never probably happen again? Would Or not again, but it would probably never happen. I would like to see uh, Squaresoft make a Pokemon game. That would be really um, very, very, very interesting as far as like for JRPG, just RPGs in general, and the fact that Square Enix kind of had, if they went back to more of like a traditional Final Fantasy formula, how that would work out. I would really like to see Square Enix do that.
0: Okay. From my perspective, I would say Way Forward and Metroid. Way Forward is a a really solid platform developer they have made some really great games in that space. And if anybody could make a proper Metroid that is the way that we would like to see it done, it would definitely be way forward, I think.
2: I concur. Yep. All
0: right. And I feel like that is probably it for this particular edition of GVN Live. So I just wanted to say... Uh, thank you to both Mr. Robert Hubbs and Mr. Gamer Keith for being on board this week. And thank you for to Mr. Robert Hubbs for giving me the opportunity to host. I appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. Uh, we will be back two weeks from today. So our next episode will be November 14th, 2016, where hopefully the whole gang will be here. And Robert will once again be in charge of the show. We will be back.
2: We will be uh, back to mediocrity.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no i okay.
2: i promise to keep uh the high level of uh, output that we've been doing lately these last three weeks these last three shows have been amazing actually because of the uh, the rotating cast i have to say you guys have all done an amazing job thank well, you thank
0: you very much i appreciate it and i'm sure emily will as well when she is back and ready to go okay
1: i just wanted to uh plug one thing i do apologize for cutting you off mark Sure. um is that I am actually going to be doing um extra life on Saturday uh where a Effectively, It's 24-hour game marathon, so I will literally be sitting on the green screen on my ass playing video games for about 24 hours. or Not about 24 hours. It will be 24 hours, and I will be doing that this Saturday. So if anybody actually was looking to um, donate or even watch me do silly stuff and just um, be lack-of-sleep-deprived, uh, check that out. Uh, we're, I'm going to be starting about uh, 9.30, and that will be on my uh, Twitch TV. .tv slash thegamerkeith, and also um, I put the uh, link into the uh, chat box over there as well.
0: All righty. Robert, you have anything you want to show before we sign off?
2: Uh, Yeah. uh, like You already mentioned when the next GVN Live will be. Um, Now, this coming Wednesday, um, Game Jam is now moving to Wednesdays. Um, from now on, unless, of course, you know, my guest has issues with coming on, uh, you are going to be my first guest uh, on the new schedule, Mark. So what game are we going to be playing? Ooh. I am? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, um,
0: we're going to be doing Fantasy Star, the PlayStation 2 remake.
2: Ooh. Yeah, uh, I have not played this, and we are going to be playing a fan-translated version of the game. So, of course, emulation is going to be involved. So, and, and that's that's kind of like a bad word in the gaming world, but whatever. So, we are going to have a lot of fun commentary. Uh, Mark is probably more familiar with the remake. And he will help guide me and point out the differences and stuff like that. I mean, I did beat the first game, so I will offer my own commentary of, oh, hey, I remember this, I remember that, what what the fuck's going on here? You know, stuff like that.
1: <laughs> or he'll just yell at you and say
2: how you're doing it wrong. Hey, he did that the last couple of games I played.
0: <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to keep reminding you that you're just not very good at this game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, from my perspective, uh, the only things I would want to get in is, of course, uh... Check me out over at SoundCloud.com slash MarkBWriting. We host the MP3 format versions of the GVN Live podcast, as well as Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. And uh, if you want to follow along with me, you can follow either on Twitter, uh, where you can see at the bottom of uh, my image here, or on Facebook at Mark B. Writing Home. But on behalf of Mr. Robert Hubbs and Gamer Keith. I would just like to say thank you very much for coming. We do appreciate it. And hopefully, we will see you next time.
2: Say it. Woo! Have a good night, people.